It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by AdvancedB2B.com. It's your host, Edward Ford, and today we're joined by Kieran Flanagan, VP of Marketing and Growth at HubSpot. Now, we have an excellent episode in store as Kieran opens up about the three core areas that he is responsible for at HubSpot, along with some truly valuable insights that all B2B SaaS growth leaders and teams can learn from. And those are how HubSpot acquires new users for their free sales products how HubSpot's growth team monetizes their freemium funnels, and finally, how Kieran manages HubSpot's global web strategy team. Prior to joining HubSpot, Kieran worked at Salesforce as their inbound and search marketing manager for EMEA, launching their social success site in the UK. And before that, he worked as head of search at a leading Irish digital agency where he won gold in the UK DMAs for best search marketing campaign. Stay tuned for the end of the episode where Kieran shares his top five tools that help him with his work alongside his best piece of advice for SaaS growth leaders. So here is episode five of the Growth Up podcast with Kieran Flanagan, VP of Marketing and Growth at HubSpot. Welcome to the show, everyone, and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast, Kieran. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on the show. Uh, and to kick things off, could you give us a short introduction to HubSpot? Yeah, so HubSpot, um, the history of HubSpot is we kind of started in 2006 and created, I think, uh, an inbound marketing platform for um, SMBs and, and mid-sized companies. Um, really to help them to do inbound marketing a lot better, help them generate more leads and close customers. And over the last number of years, we've kind of evolved into offering products for both um, marketing and salespeople, which are both free and paid, that can really help them you know, generate leads, close more deals, and manage their pipelines. So from our, our inbound marketing platform through to free CRM and sales productivity tools, um, so we're really um, pushing on trying to be the uh, the full customer stack, really, for for small to medium sized companies. Now you're VP of Marketing and Growth at HubSpot. So could you tell us a bit more about your role and responsibilities? Yeah. So the things I'm focused on is um, acquisition of users. So it's kind of different from the typical model we we used to have and and what most B2B SaaS companies has and that we generate both leads, but also free users. So we have free sales and marketing products. Um, so I have a team who are, who are trying to acquire free users onto those products and then a growth team. And the, the job of the growth team is to work really closely with product to build upgrade paths within, within the products to help free users upgrade to the tools that best fit their needs. Um, and that team are really measured on revenue, which is great. Like, so they, they own uh, a, the actual revenue number from what we call the, the freemium funnel. And then I have a team that kind of run our, our different, our, our global website strategy. And they spend a lot of time on conversion rate optimization. And when you have a freemium model, your websites really become an extension of your product. So we spend a lot of time testing, uh, running tests across our different websites to try to figure out how to get 
more people to sign up to both our free tools, but also um, into typical uh, lead types like demos, trials, and stuff like that for our paid marketing product. Okay, so in terms of user acquisition for your sales products, are you targeting brand new users or is that acquisition of existing HubSpot customers who are not yet using your sales products? Yeah, no, so it's, it's acquisition of brand new users onto our free products. So we have a free CRM. Okay. We have, we have a free, free sales product called HubSpot Sales Free. Um, and then we have a free marketing product called HubSpot Marketing Free. So they're like variations of our of our different tools, and they're completely free to to use. But there's obviously, like any freemium model, there's upgrade points within there, like limits you'll hit and gated features that so you can upgrade then to the paid version. And that team are trying to acquire, so they have targets like a certain number of users we need to have signed up for the CRM this year, a certain number of users that we need to sign up for HubSpot Sales Free this year, and a certain number of users we have to sign up for HubSpot Marketing Free. Um, and that's the kind of numbers that they are t- tasked with. Okay, so tell us a bit about how you approach acquisition of new users for your free sales products and the sort of challenges involved for you. Yeah, so I think that like I think the com- the the complicated thing that we're trying to do is very unique in that we were uh, we are a B two B company who grew really fast from like a content funnel, which means that we've had we have people who come into HubSpot, they download content and we generate leads, which is the typical B2B funnel. And then we've tried, we've actually added on a freemium layer to our business model where we actually don't try to generate leads. We actually acquire users. So I think the the complexity in that is trying to figure out how we get the balance right between what channels we use for users and what channels we use for leads and how do we blend those two things together. So that has been one of the challenges we've needed to solve. In terms of just general approach to acquisition, I think every acquisition plan starts with trying to figure out like where users spend their time, uh, where the potential users of your products actually spend their time. You kind of do that by yeah. really digging into quantitative, qualitative feedback, actually looking at your data, but talking to um, actual customers. and. I actually think one of the most important things you can do if you're running a freemium model, and particularly important if you hit a wall in terms of your growth, is what, what we try to do is dig into who are who are our power users. So like who are the people who are really engaged with the product, using the product, have already upgraded to paid versions, and asking those, like how did they first know that they had a problem and where they went to actually discover solutions for that problem because it's it unlocks maybe some different channels that you may have not thought of for like for acquisition. Um, so I think that's where I try to start with and, and build out like a a, ch- a channel map, a list of different channels and platforms that we can uh, build into or integrate with or try to figure out how we can extract users from. And I stack rank those in terms of you know how scalable is that channel. So you know how how what is the potential for growth from that channel because most channels will have some type of ceiling. You think in the typical B2B company, if you're doing SEO or AdWords, there's only a certain amount of key phrases that are relevant to your products. You hit some type of ceiling. Um, I think through how predictable are the results from that channel. So the results from AdWords are very, very predictable, but if you're a B2B SaaS company, you're trying to add virality into your product, it's way more complicated to do that. And then I, um, and then also the ease. So again, like how easy it is to actually go after uh, this channel platform, and that's really how 
I kind of delayed that initial uh, plan in terms of our, our acquisition strategy. Yeah, could we just open that up a bit more and, and could you tell us a bit more about your acquisition strategy and what have been some of the most effective tactics that you've used for new customer acquisition? Yeah, so it kind of differs by the space you're in. Um, so the, the CRM space is a really, like if you're trying to acquire users um, onto your free CRM, um, it's it's a very it's a, it's a very uh, it, it's a very competitive space. So every mm. single channel is like competitive. There's still a lot of our gains over the last year. So we had a really great uh, year last year in terms of the actual growth of new companies using our CRM. A lot of that growth came from organic because there's people. What you find in that model is when you talk to people is there it's it's a very high intent <clears throat> uh, decision to sign up to a CRM and our CRM is completely free so you're but you're still making the decision that our business needs a CRM or we're going to switch CRMs and it's a very it's a it's a very complicated decision for a business to make that so it's a very high intent consideration um, purchase and the the best um, channels are the ones where the users are actively searching for that thing so there's some spaces where you may download a piece of content or you may you know, reach something that's very far up the funnel and you can be convinced to move further down the funnel and then try out this tool that you've never heard of. In a CRM, in the, in the CRM space, you're either looking for a CRM or you're not. And it's, it's, it's really difficult to convince someone who's not really actively looking for a CRM that, hey, you've, you've consumed this piece of content, now go try out a CRM. So I think in there, we look for high intent channels and make sure we dominate those channels. And the and the other side give you a, a different uh, to give you a, a kind of different perspective on on acquisition for a different product. So like HubSpot Marketing Free is another free product we have for marketers, and it helps you do lead capture and lead intelligence, so you can see what people are actually doing on your website. And that for people is less like less of a, a high intent consideration. So they don't they can actually go consume some content on a blog. They can go download uh, an ebook about like how to do lead generation and they, these type of things, and then be convinced to actually try out this tool. But it's not it's not a huge thing for them to actually try it out and decide that they want it or they don't want it. And one of the things that's really worked there is like our typical like content play where we do lots of uh, great content, and then instead of asking someone to sign up for a lead, we ask them to sign up for the product. But the other thing we've done is um, added virality into that product. So if you add it to your website, you have a lead um, capture form on your website. And what we call that is really a distribution uh, product virality loop, which means that you as a user who use our product casually expose it to other non-users of our product. Right? So you sign up for HubSpot Marketing Free, you add it to your site, and there's a small call to action that says, used to say powered by HubSpot Marketing Free, but we actually tripled our growth by uh, playing around with the coffee and coming up with different variations of that. And then people click through on that link, they sign up for it, they add it to their site, and the loop continues. Um, and that's that's been one of the things that that we've started to really try to dig in on on our freemium products is how do we add that kind of virality into our products? Yeah, that sounds awesome. So what kind of results did you get with with that? So what we found so far is that we like those kind of loops, the uh, the key to them is like mass amounts of users actually signing up, right? So the more people who are using Hosted Market yeah. Free, the more people have it on the sites, the more the higher percentage of people are going to start to click through. 
So where we are, we've managed to scale the number of tra the, the the amount of traffic clicking through to the sign up page um, for that HubSpot Market Free product through this virality loop. And where we're spending a lot of our time now is in the conversion rate. So typically, your conversion rate for those loops are, is going to be around three percent. So there's still the conversion rate is very low, and that's why it's really important to get huge amount of scale at the top. And um, and we are below that percentage at the moment. So we know that there's a huge amount of opportunity for us to bring our overall conversion rate of that loop up to that three percent. And if we do that, we'd be pretty happy because the actual traffic side of things is scaling quite fast. Okay, so would you recommend to focus first on traffic and then on optimizing conversion rate rather than the other way around? So I think so I think in, so I think in, if I, if I, I'll extract that into two examples because if you're thinking of virality for your product, then I would yeah. then actually the first thing you should do is try to build virality into your product. It's easier to do it um, when you're actually developing the product versus doing it as an afterthought. But you can still do it. You can still try to build loops into your product after it's been developed, but easier to do it from the point at which you're developing the, the product. But then if you extract that and say, okay, I've got viral loops that generate traffic, um, they generate some traffic and the conversion rate is is okay. Where I would spend my time, I would always spend my time at the top of the funnel. So I would always try to get like mass scale before I really obsess over the conversion rate. Because you have to think about it. Like if you're a good growth marketer, leads with opportunity so like what is the what is the opportunity of me increasing my conversion rate from two percent to four percent and you should be able to model that out or okay what is the opportunity of me increasing my monthly visits from ten thousand to twenty thousand and that's the way i make decisions so it's not like i don't make decisions based upon should i do traffic or conversion rate i just make a decision based upon what's the opportunity of me working on the conversion rate where do i think i can get it to on a monthly basis on what's the, what's the opportunity of me increasing my traffic what do i think i can get it to on a on a month by month basis, and that's kind of how I how I make decisions, and, and most of my team make decisions. So, if we move on from new user acquisition to monetization of your freemium funnels, uh, which is your second focus area, uh, how do you actually manage that process alongside the handover from your user acquisition team to your growth and monetization team? Yeah, so so we have a layer. So the acquisition team there, what they're really trying to do is get new people to new users to sign up to the product and then they're just they're done I, when i say they're done they're still they are still digging into the data they look and they look to see what channels are generating what we call active users so they do want to see if the things they're doing are resulting in users actually becoming active within the product but for the most part what they care about is just like mass amount of users signing up for the products what the growth team do then is they take over um that funnel um, and work closely with the product team to try to figure out, uh, to give you a good example. So, um, and, and it's really how do we optimize both the product onboarding and the in-app experience to help users do more of the things that we know correlate highly to that user becoming a paid um, customer. So uh, an example of, uh, of this in action is like recently in our CRM, we wanted to better optimize our product around the usage events we knew helped qualify users um, and help helped get users one step further to actually become a paid customer. And we dug in and, and our, we have a, someone on the team who does product insights and she ran some R analysis and, and found like all of the usage events that correlate really highly to someone actually becoming a paid user. And it's because what you're trying to do as a growth team is in your product onboarding is get that user to the aha moment in as short amount of time as possible. And the aha moment is like, 
this user comes into your product and they go, okay, I, I actually really understand the value, and they become a lot more sticky and retain at a higher rate. And to give you good examples of those aha moments is like the, the most famous one, and if you're doing, doing this show and you have a bunch of people come on, they'll always give the same examples, which is the you know Facebook add 10 friends in seven days. And that's what Facebook optimized around because they knew if a user did this, they would become more engaged and retain at a higher rate and also attract and also start to add a bunch more friends. And then you have different ones like Dropbox is, is you know, add one file to what to one folder on one device. Slack is uh, 2,000 messages between teams. Um, trial, uh, Twitter's is like a, you join Twitter, join a bunch of people, and a percentage of them follow you back. And that's the aha moment. And that's what their product in Borden is designed to do. And we do the same thing in ours where you know, we pull usage events through the R analysis and we can figure out what usage events correlate to that user becoming a what we call a weekly active team. So we actually want that user to invite additional members to, to their team and start to use the product because we teams retain at a higher rate on the CRM and they're also way more likely to upgrade to a paid customer. And that means then we can design product onboarding around the usage events we want a user to take. Um, so that's one big part of what a growth team are doing. And the other thing they're doing is like within the product themselves, within the product itself, looking for um, the right points in time to provide upgrade points. Like when, it's in, when does it make sense to ask that user, hey, you're doing this thing. Actually, do you know that you, if you pay this money, you can do a bunch more things? And the example I'll use, and it shows you, I think this is a good example of like the difficulties in a freemium model, but the, but the advantages of getting it right is, and there's a bunch of these, but Evernote has a, is a really good example of a company that had 75 million uh, users, registered users, but were really struggling to monetize those users. And um, their CEO left, they've got a new CEO now, are now from Google. And I think they converted less than 1% of their free users into paid. And recently, I don't know if you use Evernote, but they've become more aggressive with the upgrade points. And one of the ones I really like is They've obviously found data to show that Evernote users use the product across multiple devices. And now what they do when you try and do that for free users is they show you an upgrade point to ask you to pay for the product. And I think they're converting around 3 to 4% of their free to, free to pay, which is actually a good conversion rate of free to paid for freemium. Dropbox is the same. But Evernote's a great example of a company that did freemium. And then you could actually use the product without ever having to upgrade or without ever having to know why you should upgrade, and that's what the the objective of a growth team to do is to figure out like how they can build those upgrade points in and help the user understand the value they get from from actually upgrading. Yeah. So when it comes to converting free users into paid users, how do you balance between the use of no touch automation and then the more higher touch human interaction? Uh, that is, yeah, that's that's a great great question. Um, I think I I think for us. You can look at this two ways. For HubSpot, it's very different from what I would say uh, a company who's, we aren't, we aren't a company who started out freemium. So we are a company who started out with a B2B SaaS model uh, with lead gen and an inside sales team, and now we do freemium. And I think in terms of, if you are a company that started out with freemium, the, the right model for you really is dependent upon the, uh, it could be dependent upon the price point of your product. So if you have a higher price point at a certain point within that funnel, you may want to, try to figure out what users get sent to a salesperson. So in the Dropbox model, they have a touchless upgrade path, but they also try to fit their growth team, try to figure out like what are usage events this person takes that would 
uh, correlate really highly to them per to them wanting to actually speak with a salesperson because of the amount of money they're probably likely to spend. And in our case, what we're trying to do is more like the Dropbox model at the moment is like try to help the user buy the product in the way that they want to buy it. So we provide the option to buy through a touchless um, motion if they want to do that. And we also provide the option at given points that they can reach out and talk to a human if they want to do that. And what we're trying to work hard on is like figuring out the right points where a user wants to talk to someone or they actually just want to upgrade themselves and do that and do that themselves. And that's the, um, and there's a bunch of other challenges in behind that, that if you don't do good pre uh, sale through touchless, then your retention of your touchless customer base is going to be a lot lower than your touch because if you reach out and you talk to uh, a person and they can explain the products to you, explain their value. If you want to do that through a touchless motion to make sure that your attention is not on a par with touch, because touch is probably always going to outperform touchless in terms of retention, or uh, it typically will. But you're you want to try to figure out like how you do really great pre-sale on touchless, so users really understand uh, understand your products. And the other big thing I'll just mention in touchless is. One of the most important things for you to have a really great touchless business is your products need to be simplistic, right? Really quite easy to understand, yeah. or you've explained them really yeah. well in that in that pre uh, pre sale. And are, are there any things that you've tried that didn't work, or things that you would advise advise others against doing when it comes to converting free users into paid users? No, nothing I would advise anyone not to do because I think like most of the things that we do in a growth team don't work. Uh, so, so I, yeah. so I, I can't, I can't think of anything bigger <laughs> because, like, the highest percentage, the, the higher percentage of things we do are actually just a wash, which means like they're not better or worse. And the the objective of a growth team is to to do things fast, so you get enough small wins on the board that it makes an incremental difference. So the um, you know we we had we did some things for in our touches flow in, in January the. the the people on the on the growth team made some changes uh, around our touchless flow and like drastically increased the number of people who were then upgrading through touchless because just by constant iteration figured out like one or two different points where a user was more likely to upgrade and maybe they found out one or two but the 20 they tried before that had no effect at all so i think if you're running a, a growth model in any company the the objective is to get things, is to have tests that go live fast and a really tight feedback loop, so you understand what those results mean, and you know, and you have that quick loop of like learnings, feedback, get something live, learnings, feedback, get something live, and the the other thing I'll just mention because it's actually the one of the weaknesses of a growth team is like if you do that loop in a way where it's not carefully managed, you incur a lot of tech debt, which means what I've seen happen and what's happened to us for a little bit on the um, website side, because we were trying to run a bunch of tests, is you run tests, and then you you leave uh, the results of that test live. So you let's say I created a test on, different, on a product page, and I changed it and tweaked it, and it performed a lot better, and I leave that live. And then I do that on another page, and another page, and another page. And quickly what happens is you're, everything becomes like out of whack, because you have all of these different things that are slightly different from each other. And what you want to have in that tight feedback loop is making sure that you Figure out what the learnings are, and then scale them across your whole product, scale them across your whole site, so you're being consistent in terms of the both the product experience and both the like in in the website example, like the website experience. So you don't want to, a lot of ex high like growth teams who run a lot of experiments will incur a lot of tech debt 
because they don't have that type feedback loop and integrate those learnings across the whole product, across the whole uh, website to keep that experience like consistent. Yeah, and actually if we go on to discuss the website, because at the heart of all this is of course the HubSpot website and the HubSpot website is is huge. You have a lot of different content. So there's multiple blogs, there's all your offers, uh, product information, the academy and support, partner info, not to mention the actual product. So in your role, uh, as manager of the, the global web strategy team, how is your team organized? How do you operate uh, and where do you focus? Yeah, I think so. What we, um, we've gone through a couple of iterations of, of this and where we've kind of netted out is that we have like an overall web strategy team who work closely with our dev and design team. So they're on a, they're on a different team, but they're dedicated to the website. And then we have like within that team, we have a, a, a team of um, like CRO team. And on that team, there's two people who are dedicated to experiments. There's one uh, senior UX person who's really, really great at UX. And then we have one da mm. data analyst who's basically managing our GA360. Um, and the way that that team runs, and it could be just because the way I, that team runs, and it could be it's similar to the growth team and the acquisition team because they're just like they're all um, there. There's some things that I just like in terms of the my processes that I try to instill in them. But they have like oh, they can really change or tweak whatever they want. But they still it's still based upon a very like rigorous process of um, what is like, in terms of deciding what to work like. What is the opportunity? Um, what is my hypothesis around that opportunity and what is the test to try to prove or disprove that hypothesis and what we used to use on the um, CRO team was a framework called Pi which is a pretty well-known CRO framework um, from a company called Wider Funnel in Canada which is basically stack ranking uh, tests in terms of the potential of that test which is like what is the opportunity what is the impact uh, of that the, or the importance of that test so like is this metric um, further down the like what's the importance of this metric so you could run something on the home page and increase it by you know 2x but it's so it's so further up the funnel that if I just increase the sign up page the one directly before a user signing up to become a paid customer and only increase that by a couple uh, of percentage points that the net outcome on the sign up page would be higher so like it's understanding how important that metric is to the core goal of your team and then how easy it is to get this test live. Do I need to actually develop something? Can I just go in and change it? Is it just copy test? Um, and that's how we used to score our different experiments and stack rank them and then to actually just uh, go through them one by one. Um, this year we found that that was uh, a little too rigorous and a little too subjective. And what we really just go with now is like, everyone comes in and goes through like, here are my experiments. Here's the opportunity I see. Here's the hypothesis I see or I have and here's the plan to like prove or just disprove that. So that's the CRO team. And then in terms of the web strategy, it's really a co-owned thing with our um, brand team, um, work really closely with our brand team to try to figure out like what is the creative direction of, of the website. Um, and those two things are the hard, like that's the things you have to really work hard to, to make work together, which is like this, the brand creative side and the, you know, the, the hard kind of CRO side or people who just see numbers and want to influence numbers. Yeah, if, if we take the, the CRO side, what have you found to be some of the most effective conversion paths on the website? So we did, so 
one of the things that um, we decided to do for for I don't know what when I think about it now I don't know what reasons but I, I'm pushing really hard to get <laughs> a whole a whole new website launched during you you know inbound right because you're have some partners you've probably been to inbound right. in Boston yeah right. I was there in uh, November yeah so we decided to launch a whole new website in um, in November um, at the, on the Thursday of inbounds. And we decided to do this in six weeks, which when I first when I was wow. pitching, pitching this to the team and saying, hey, we're going to, I, I want to relaunch the website and do, we should do this in, 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 uh, for, for inbound. It seemed uh, doable and we started to do it. Yeah, it's, it was pretty crazy. The team who, who worked on that, the developers, designers, and, and the web strategy team were, were phenomenal. Um, and one of the things that we did was try to simplify our sign flow. So our Go to market had meant that our sign-up flows had become very, very complex because we have a paid marketing product where we still run a lead model again. So we still try to generate leads for the paid marketing product and have them sign up for a trial demo and just connect with us so we can see if we can actually solve their problems and they, they would be a good fit for HubSpot. But then we also have we also have all of these free tools, um, which we don't generate any leads. We just go straight into the free freemium uh, version of that tool. Yeah. and. One of the things we work really hard on in in uh, for that launch is just the simplification of the sign-up flow. So when you go to the homepage now, you'll see that um, you could just go to get started, and it goes to a get started page, and you can kind of pick the product that solves your pain point. And we started to try to to test this kind of simplistic get started flow, where we had the user themselves pick the product that was right for them, and and that 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 um, overall dramatically increase both the free user signups and the number of people who are who are demoing our paid marketing product the other thing that it worked like incredibly well and it's so such a small thing is if you go to hustle.com and you you scroll over the software in the top nav you'll see that we marked out each product and the price point and again getting people to the product they want in a short amount of time as possible and we have a ton of people who sign up through um, just that path where they come in, navigate to that, click on one of those links in the top nav and then immediately sign up. So the, so the thing we, we work a lot on is the, um, the, the simplification of conversion paths. And then the other big thing I'll say is like, we've invested a lot in our copy. It's still, it's good. It's still not uh, you know great. We're still working a lot to make it better, but we have a dedicated, uh, dedicated copywriters now. And we found that Overall, copy makes such a huge uh, can make such a huge impact on on your conversion rate. It's more, I think, I'm, I'm more on the side where the copy can be a bigger influencer than design, unless your design is just so terrible that you know it's it's you know dramatically and negatively increasing or uh, it's it's negatively affecting your conversion rate. But overall, copy has had a big impact for us. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the uh, HubSpot copy and tone of voice. So. Cool. Yeah, that's definitely good. Uh, and what, what sort of final advice would you share with other B2B SaaS companies when it comes to their website and strategy and the role that that plays, of course, in the B2B SaaS business model? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the, like, again, it comes to, it comes through to the opportunity, right? So the, so the, we get like millions of visits to this website. So the opportunity is quite big for us to invest time to make sure that those users are getting to the thing that they want most. I've, you know, I've, I advise startups and I talk to startups all the time and, They'll they'll come to me and say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna run this like convoluted split test on our homepage, and 
I asked them how much traffic they'll get into the homepage and like a thousand visits. And you know, uh, you know, they immediately say to them, "Well, is that is that the best use of your time?" And it's it's obviously not. The um, so the the thing I would start with is like, what what is the opportunity? So do you actually want to spend your time trying to increase conversion from the website, or do you just want to get more people to your website? The second thing then is like, when you have enough people, I would like make sure that your copy tells a story of who you are as a brand. It helps you stand out within the within the market. And make sure that your copy is consistent across like the the entirety of that user journey from the point look look at where they're landing on the site and how they're navigating around the site. Make sure there's like a consistent journey. So go through those user flows yourself and put your user um, your hat on and try to figure out if that journey makes sense. And then if you are run if you are at the point where you wanted to run like a CRO and some tests on your website, then I would run it similar to like any growth model where you make the person or the team. Figure out through data and both through data and through talking to actual customers. So, both the CRO team and the growth team would talk to customers and ask, "Hey, when you first came to the website, what page did you land on? Why did you decide to go one step further? Why didn't you?" Like we've run on exit pop-ups to try to figure out why users don't sign up because that's just as important as why they did sign up, and then try to start to map out like, "Okay, here's where I see real opportunity for us to improve things," because there is there is times where you know if you're getting 30% of users to click on a button and sign up to your product, then maybe there's there's no other opportunity there. And there's no point trying to spend all your time iterating and testing to get another couple of percentage digits. Yeah, great stuff. And uh, actually, if we could just uh, move on to a couple of closing questions. And these yeah. are questions that we ask uh, all our guests. So the first one is actually about tools in your technology stack. So if you could only pick five tools to help you with your work, which five would you pick? I'm guessing one of them is probably going to be HubSpot. Yeah, so I, I won't do. I won't say Hubs. I won't say HubSpot. <laughs> I just think like you know, we we use HubSpot day in day out. But I'm going to give you five tools. Yeah. I, I'd say HubSpot. Um, I've actually got six, but I'll I'll, I'll shorten it to five. So there's <laughs> these these two are for for people who do a lot of remote work because uh, I. Um, most of the people I manage actually are based in either Boston or different places around the world, not Dublin. Okay. So I spend a lot of my time just doing remote management and remote working. And two tools I love are actually Rhyme, which is really weird. Maybe they should Zoom should buy Loom. So Zoom, which is um, <laughs> Zoom is like a, a savior to me. I love it. It's um, a company that they just uh, they are they do video hangouts, but They've just got a hundred million in investment. They're valued at a billion, and the reason they're grown so fast is just the experience is so great. If you're if you're doing any type of video meetings, I would never go back to Google Hangouts. I would only only use Zoom, and I'd force everyone to use Zoom um, as well. Who doing meetings with me? Okay, good stuff. Yeah, the and the other thing I would say I'll is check like, that out immediately. Yeah, and if you if you check it out, like look, think about their product virality loop, which I love, which is like you'll now go check that out. You'll sign up for a free account. You'll you'll love it, and then you'll start adding people because you don't have to be a Zoom user to join a Zoom meeting. So that's you'll have like Zoom meetings with all these people who are not Zoom users, and you'll expose the product to those users, and then they're like, yeah. "Oh my god, this is awesome! I'm going to do the exact same thing." So just a really cool loop. The other one is called Loom. I don't know if you've heard of Loom, but uh, if you go to like useloom.com, which it, my team are obsessed by this because like my whole growth team are really remote. And it allows you to create really short tutorials to send to someone, so you don't need to email them anything. 
I can just send okay, you cool. a screen recording and you can see me in the bottom left corner or the right corner and you can see me navigating around my screen. It's awesome. Uh, okay, so they're my remote working ones. Then the next ones are to keep me productive and to keep track of what's going on in my life and my team. My team. So Todoist is, I think it's probably an app that I don't know many people use, but it's like, it's just a to-do list that gives you a bunch of like weekly different lists. Uh, and that's how I work. So I found that a bit of a life savior. They also have a great signup flow. So again, anyone who's interested in product or signup flow is really great. Trello, which we use across all my teams um, yes. to keep track of everything that we're doing. And then the last one based uh, on, this is where it's hard, it's a toss up, but on uh, the, data, <laughs> the data side of things, um, I, I'll go for Amplitude. Um, so we use Amplitude okay. a lot for like all of our product insights, but on the top of the funnel, we do use GA360 as well. But um, I'll so I give I kind of give them both. But <laughs> okay, yeah, half each. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, and then one final question. So, what would be your one golden piece of actionable advice that you would share with other B two B SaaS growth leaders? Yeah, I think this is. I'll, I'll, I'm sure there's going to be more creative pieces of advice in this one, but I still think this one could be actually one of the most uh, impactful. It's like meetings, your meeting structure, if you're running a good growth model and experimentation model, your, your meeting structure matters a lot. That's what I find. So um, what I mean by that is that you should make sure that you have the right meetings in place to get people to explain what I've kind of repeated a bunch of times, which is go through their experiments in a very systematic way where it's the opportunity hypothesis and the plan and then a meeting where you as a team can get together and go through the feedback of learnings and how you integrate those learnings across your product or your website so you in the growth model i feel like in a lot of companies and most companies people just meet because they meet and they talk about things and then they leave the meeting and there's no action points in a growth yep. in a growth model meetings are an integral part of that model and the meetings need to be uh, impactful in a way that they help people go through the actual experiments and people can give them uh, constructive feedback, make sure that they're very tight and they can go through then the feedback of learnings that they've had to make sure that that learnings are distributed across the team and across the products on a website. So I think when you are running a growth team, you really want to think are, do you have that, do you have that tight feedback loop in terms of learnings? And do you have that, um, uh, do you have that, environment where people can go and explain their experiments to the rest of the team in that kind of rigorous format and get and get actual feedback and collaboration on on the things that they're doing yeah great stuff hey kieran i just want to thank you so much for for your time and joining us here for an episode of the growth hub podcast there's tons of really really good insight really valuable suggestions uh really good stories about what you're doing in Hub, at hubspot so i'd just like to thank you uh, for your time and for joining us here on the Growth Hub today. Yeah, I, I appreciate you asking me. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. That was Kieran Flanagan, VP of Marketing and Growth at HubSpot. Be sure to check out Kieran's website and blog at kieranflanagan.io. And you can follow Kieran on Twitter at searchbrat. So thank you for listening to the Growth Hub podcast and make sure you check out the Growth Hub at advancedb2b.com slash the Growth Hub for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People who 
single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying